Where does it go? Where does it go? All of that cast off junk, where does it go? Welcome to Where Does It Go, a podcast about all kinds of curious endings. I'm Sarah. And I'm Emily. And today I'm going to talk about something that is one of my favorite design aesthetics, the Memphis Group or Memphis Milano Design. So I sent Emily a a um, link to a really fun article from My Modern Met about um, Memphis Group or Memphis Milano Design or just Memphis Design and... Uh, uh, she now she knows what it looks like just from the pictures. Oh yeah, and I think most of us know what it looks like now that I know what it is. But I didn't know I knew what it was. Exactly. <laughs> it's like once you see it, you're like, oh yeah. Okay, so I'll talk about what has it has influenced just a little bit so that people kind of understand, and then I'll go into the timeline. So it's influenced. Pee-wee's Playhouse. This is a first thing that um, when I say this, people are like, oh. Mm-hmm. And even though they don't officially say that Memphis design has influenced Pee-wee's Playhouse, just looking at Memphis design and Pee-wee's Playhouse, like I totally think that it happened. Uh, Saved by the Bell is actually influenced by this, like the whole design aesthetic of the like restaurant they used to meet in. I'm not a big Saved by the Bell fan, but uh, I've seen It looks pictures. exactly like the diner. Yes. Yeah. The Max, I guess, is what it was called. Yes. Um, the Rugrats cartoon. Oh, yeah. The B-52s video for Love Shack. Yep. Uh, and the aesthetic of Beetlejuice. So, oh, the movie. Yes, the movie. So the yes. detired Otho. I love Otho. He's my favorite character. Uh, <laughs> the interior designer who redesigned their house. And it was like a dark, a dark version of Memphis Milano because Memphis uh, design is generally like it's bright colors, it's squiggles, it's fun, it's outrageous. It, it shares with like, different shaped legs like triangles and circles it's uh big bold prints um it's tile or laminate on walls or furniture and geometric sculptures black and white paired with clashing bright colors and i freaking love it (laughs) huge asymmetrical door frames yes exactly it's just that's what stands out more to me than anything else yeah it's totally it's a play it's it's like playing with the environment that is totally what memphis design was started out at um so in 1980 at torre he's a he's an italian he found some memphis group uh, or the memphis milano design group in milan during a meeting where he invited a bunch of designers, artists, architects to talk about the future of design and kind of moving past the modernist design that was had been popular at the time, the group wanted to make a statement about design to move into postmodernism and really make, critis- make a criticism of modernist aesthetic that they viewed as boring and corporate. And I think that they did a good job. 
Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> so the reason why it's called the Memphis Group uh, supposedly is that the Bob Dylan's record and the song was stuck inside of of Mobile with the Memphis Blues again, and apparently the record was skipping. So that song played over and over and over while they were meeting. So that's why they're calling it the Memphis Group. And also it's a play on Memphis, Tennessee and Memphis, Egypt. So there's like Mm -hmm. a kind of play on both those things and also the Memphis Blues again. So they meet in 1980. Three months later, the group comes back with... Uh, designs for concepts of furniture and art and this is and they mostly did furniture because in the 1981 the memphis group um made their debut at the 1981 salon day mobile day milan which is a furniture fair i've never heard of it but you Mm -hmm. know that doesn't mean anything um the style was really attention grabbing but largely commercially rejected. However, it had a huge cult following from people. So a lot of it was that it had a cult following of people like David Bowie, the designer Karl Lagerfeld, Christian mm-hmm. Dior, um, obviously uh, Beetlejuice and stuff like that. It ended up influencing a lot of pop culture like into the 80s because it was fun and i think because it had a lot of statement pieces to it so in 1987 the group stopped producing furniture the uh, they mainly produced furniture but there's a lot of statement art pieces that you could get they did glasswork sculpture um, but it was mainly furniture and interior design But as I said, it had a huge effect on design at the time. And in 1988, the group formally disbanded. So it was a real short time frame that the group was together. But it had a really outsized effect on postmodernist design and design at the time. And a lot of that has to do with the influences at the time. So it had kind of like a retro kitsch feel to it punk rock was coming into itself in the 80s and uh postmodern thought and postmodern design um it was a they used a lot of geometric designs that were inspired by art deco but paired them with really bold colors so it was really it was a counterpoint to minimalism and modernism and and kind of the blandness the blandness right. that you could see and in corporate modernism at the time. And just when David Bowie died in 2016, it was found that like he had over 400 pieces. So there was a huge auction at Sotheby's um, and he had over 400 pieces. And I think they sold for $1.8 million. Um Wow. Yeah. So the I feel like that's a steal of a deal between like a Bowie owned piece and then like something that I would consider fairly special. Yeah. <laughs> it's not just like David Bowie's plastic comb. It's, you know, it, really cool furniture. Yeah. It can, it kind of tells you about the people that collected it though. They were artists that were kind of, I would say, say David Bowie was pretty firmly surreal. Like he, mm-hmm. he loved surrealism. Uh, he just really enjoyed 
playing with with gender and playing with you know just the way he looked and that's pretty uh it's a pretty common aesthetic at the time for artists who had wanted to ch- kind of challenge the I would say kind of broy dude broy like stuff of the 80s the weird chrome gray mahogany brass glass I think of like um, Die Hard and the office building in Die Hard. Yes, exactly. Corporate modernism, because that was a very fancy office building. Mm-hmm. And you just think about somebody snorting cocaine off a desktop. <laughs> and like that probably happened. I'm not going to say that Memphis design, that didn't happen on Memphis design, but it, you know, it wasn't somebody in a gray suit you know doing that yeah <laughs> snorting coke off you know whatever yeah <laughs> sex worker's stomach or whatever <laughs> oh god <laughs> <laughs> so that's funny you should mention that because where it went is kind of a twisty road so because it wasn't commercially like it wasn't really commercially loved. It was kind of, I guess it was avant-garde at the time, but it had a cult following of, you know, kind of cool people. <laughs> and yeah. it later, like, it later into 1980s kind of got a backlash about being stuff that yuppies wanted. So if you'll remember in in Beetlejuice, the people that move into that house, I think they're the Dietzes, or is the Dietz the the couple that live there? The Maitlands are the couple that live there. The Dietzes are the ones. That's what that I thought because it's in. it's uh, yeah, that's what I thought. So the Dietzes are kind of viewed as villainous, and the wife is like a yuppie, like an out of touch yuppie, and she and Otho are just like kind of viewed as ridiculous with like wanting to redesign this beautiful old house in this aesthetic that is <laughs> was termed in one article I read postmortem is because <laughs> you know there's a giant sandworm and like the the bar stools are uh, just look like jagged teeth and it's just I love that movie because of the aesthetic of that I think it's really fantastic but again the couple is viewed as villainous and this this uh, design aesthetic is viewed as useless, like useless and scary. Mm-hmm. And it comes up over and over in in uh, media at the time. So National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. I don't know if you remember this. Oh, movie. yes, yes. The neighbors with the chrome and the glass. Exactly. The n- and the, asymm- the asymmetry, because Margot wears a black and white dress that has like a blouse on one side and then a structured I think a lot about clothes and sets in movies uh, a structured black side so the asymmetry in her aesthetic in particular exactly you you're you, Sorry. you exactly got it no it's great you've got it exactly so these it's viewed as useless it's viewed as something a yuppies really wanted so it's it's kind of like as the statement, the backlash is like, this is unaffordable, useless, 
stuff that only people who with a lot of money and like no need to have tables that don't fall apart when we try to put glasses on them like or you know actually functional furniture that don't look like they're out of a fun house that was a lot of the backlash against it I guess in the movie Wall Street and I don't remember this movie at all I did watch a clip of it uh, because an article I was reading had a clip of it but I guess uh, Charlie Sheen is this Wall Street stockbroker and his girlfriend uh, redesigns his house and it is basically in the Memphis modern design aesthetic and he tries to put like a plate on one of the coffee tables and it falls to the floor so that's kind of like the feeling behind it it's like super expensive ridiculous useful for useless furniture so i mean Mm -hmm. they the furniture itself i love it i think the aesthetic is great but at the time the furniture and the pieces uh were very expensive because they were artisanally made they could range from Mm two thousand to twelve thousand dollars in uh, 1980 money, so that's a lot for a regular family. They are not yes, going to be spending $12,000 on a table that they can't like allow their children near. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Right, exactly. And, and the people who have that style either have grown-up children, like Lydia Dietz is not treated like a child by her parents and doesn't really have... Like, she's not even particularly liked by her stepmother. And then the um, Margot and Todd don't have children. And then they're sort of uh, compared to the Maitlands who really want children mm-hmm. and are wallpapering their house and fixing up a farmhouse to have a family. And then the uh, Griswolds who have two children and are ostensibly a loving family, even though they're pretty ridiculous people. <laughs> but they're the heroes in that story. Exactly. So it's 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 a funny it's a funny juxtaposition of like yuppie avant-garde kind of stuff and middle America family because the Griswolds are from Chicago. They're supposed to be from Chicago, which is mm-hmm. smack dab. I think they're from the suburbs. Um, and then the Dietzes are like somewhere farm town. America. They live on a giant hill. They live in a small town and they know all their neighbors and all this other stuff. And upstate New York. Upstate New York. Okay. Yeah. So, or no, Connecticut. I'm sorry. I think they're in Connecticut. That makes sense. I mean, that, that totally makes sense. But it's yeah, very much so close together. That vi- it's very much that feeling of the, the villainous, you know, outsiders from the city and the, you know, basically the family, the family, the middle America, the, you know, the, the wholesomeness of the family, even though the, the Griswolds are hilarious, but we're supposed to love them because they're like our ridiculous family. Mm-hmm. So that's part of where it went. And, but it also went on to influence a ton of designers after its time ended. So there is a lot of designers out there, and especially after 
the group disbanded that um, they influenced a lot of stuff after them. And so that gets us into what is termed as corporate Memphis. And this is possibly dubbed in Wired Magazine in 2020. It might have been mentioned earlier. I don't know, but that's the first time I heard, I saw it mentioned when I read stuff. But many people think that Memphis design inspired what is called corporate Memphis. So uh, if you think about corporate Memphis, the designs are like, uh, the designs are themselves innocuous, but they're pleasing because the shapes are bold and they're rounded and they're fun, but they're not too fun. Like Taco Bell in the 90s? Exactly. So they're not (laughs) too fun. Yeah. But they're definitely like supposed to be aesthetically pleasing, a little a little bit bold. And definitely there's there's a, a juxtaposition between the shapes and the colors enough so that it seems like it's fun loving, even though it's supposed to be like corporate America. Yeah. And it's been termed corporate Memphis because of that, because it, it seems to have gotten a lot of those design aesthetics and probably the designers who uh, work in those industry, in industries, graphic designers, were influenced by that when they were learning about art, when they were learning about graphic design, when they were, you know, looking at different design aesthetic. So it's got a lot of bright colors uh, but not too bright. And it's definitely a snapback to the 1950s kitsch and pop art, just mm-hmm. like Memphis Design was. Um, so in the, it's kind of made a little bit of a comeback, Memphis Design. So in 2013 and 2014, Natalie DePacchier, and I'm really bad at French, I'm sorry, who is a textile designer and an original member of the group. She collaborated with a Danish company, Hay, to make bags, and then in 2014 with American Apparel. So it's still, the members are not too old to not be designing anymore. They are definitely Mm -hmm. still out there, still making waves. And a lot of them are still, you know, inspired by their work earlier in Memphis design. So it's still... It's still got its kind of fingers and tendrils out there and has become and morphed into corporate Memphis, which is interesting because uh, Memphis design itself was originally a criticism of that corporate mindset. (laughs) Yeah, kind of a middle finger to it. Yeah, almost kind of a middle finger to it. Um, But yeah, if you look around, I'm sure you could probably see what I'm talking about. Web design is a big one that it's I've seen with this kind of rounded shapes and and um, bold colors kind of juxtaposed together, but pleasing enough so that it looks fun and not too crazy because yeah, exactly. So if you look around, you can probably find it, and there's a lot of people who have you know collected uh, these what they term is corporate Memphis so that you can Mm -hmm. actually see what's going on um, and see like the, the influence. That's really cool. Yeah. It's, it's fun. And it's definitely my favorite just because I, I completely love surrealism. 
I love stuff that is a challenge to uh, brutalism and modernism, you know, stuff that's just gray and bland and <laughs> meant to... Well, and it's got a, a macro-maximalist feel. So it's not the maximalist where it's like little bitty knickknacks everywhere, but it is maximalist and all this stuff takes up a lot of space and a lot of visual energy. Yes. So the the uh, article I sent Emily was from My Modern Met and I will definitely post it on our website when I update it when this sh- show comes up. But it's fun. Like the first picture is super fun and just the the designs on the walls and there's one with like a mirror that's basically a wavy frame. I love that stuff. I love it when mm-hmm. it's like a challenge to, you know, just the boring uh, gold leafed frame that, you know, you're going to put your Thomas Kincaid print in. <laughs> one, one thing I like about it is because it is so like a lot of this stuff is so physically large or asymmetrical or very specifically unusual looking it does not lend itself as readily to the 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 cheap knockoff fakey uh aesthetic like you can get a frame that looks at a distance kind of fancy but you you even start to get a feel from it even at a distance of like that's a cheap frame or this is a cheap coffee table or whatever and i know that a lot of people i that the like the as you said before the memphis style was considered very impractical mm-hmm. but it wasn't this like tacky plastic i mean in, a, in there was probably some plastic elements to it but it wasn't this like tacky plastic fake victorian fake twin like fake art deco it it it's not as like fakey cheap crap <laughs> exactly and i was thinking about uh ikea itself the ikea mm. the behemoth the the furniture behemoth and i think that even though a scandinavian design is a whole like ball of wax in itself i really feel like there are pieces in ikea that are definitely inspired by this because if you go to ikea and like just the roundness of some of the frames and of the frames of the chairs or like just they have patterns on some of like the tabletops and stuff that remind Mm -hmm. me of the what's called the bacterio print uh, for the Memphis design that is it's basically like that pink it was popular in Rugrats if you'll ever remember that like the it's like got big squiggles Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was the um, it was the uh, episode title plaques, the backgrounds to that. It looks like diatoms or like an illustration of a diatom. Yeah, it's called Bacterio, and mm-hmm. I there's definitely some of that in IKEA as well, as well as like big prints, like instead of tiny little flowers like you would have had before in like your grandma's house, and that has its own you know following. But this is like big prints. Big, bold stuff. Yeah. Almost, sir, like, Keith Haring, I don't know if he was influenced by it or if it was the same time, but his art has a a Memphis design feel to it, or it fits nicely into it. I I don't want to speak like, oh, Keith Haring was obviously influenced, or he obviously influenced them. Like, 
that's not I don't know enough about design history to say that but I would say I would say it's it's probably likely I mean just judging from just the the feeling at the time in the early 80s a lot of that was just kind of playing off itself like Keith Haring he's big bold stuff bright colors I would say he's probably more influenced by pop art than anything else and Matisse with his figures yes yes but I know Mat- more about art than I thought I did. Matisse, <laughs> Matisse was a little bit earlier than this. This is really oh, much, more, much. Yeah. yeah, it's more like Keith Haring was influenced by Matisse's yeah. figure okay. movement and then adapted saying. it for his for his own style. Yes, but like the figurals that uh, the prints that Matisse was doing later in his career, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes, definitely moving into that. Uh, bold colors more less realistic definitely and I love that stuff as I said before I I love it like I'm not a huge fan of pointillism or anything like that like I love when people put weird stuff together (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) or like use pointillism differently yeah not just like lunch at the park yeah but in but in polka dots exactly and I love 1950s kitsch and Memphis Memphis Milano design definitely had a little bit of 1950s I'm gonna say a little it had a lot of 1950s kitschish stuff in it um and I love 1950s kitsch and I've always wanted to decorate a house that way but it's so hard to (laughs) oh it would be very difficult it's hard and expensive yeah because everybody loves it. Yeah. But as em- as Emily knows, um, and her daughter and I share a love of tiny little plastic things. <laughs> That's a fact. <laughs> and so I feel like a lot of this is just all interrelated in my own brain of like loving bold colors and weird little things. Because col- I've collected all these little things and I was going to make art with them. But it turns out that Emily's daughter just loves all my collection of weird crap. So I just let her play with them. And it's so fun to think about, like, making things in Memphis design kind of aesthetic. Um, Oh, yeah. And it's definitely influenced me. Like, I want to make a mirror with, like, completely made of googly eyes. And I think that (laughs) that would be great. I think Memphis designers would love that at the time. I don't know. I (laughs) agree. So I love no, that to- they had fun with their environment. I love that they they played with it. I love that they were kind of uh, us answering to the brutalism and modernism um, that was popular at the time. So, yeah, it's it's pretty much influenced a whole generation of designers. And corporate Memphis is a thing. You can look it up. It's It's kind of fun to look at the designs and be like, Oh, totally. Oh, yeah, this web design, this template from WordPress is totally uh, corporate Memphis. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to, I have not, It web design didn't occur to me, but I'm totally going to look at that now with a different lens. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Yeah. Thank you, Sarah. Yeah, that was fun. That's awesome. I, I'm going to go watch Pee-wee's Playhouse now. I know. I love Pee-wee's Playhouse. I think Paul Ru- Rubens really got a raw deal from the 80s. Oh, man. We should do an episode where, about where Paul Rubens went. Yeah. he. I mean, 
I don't know. Obviously, I don't know the man. Like, <laughs> but he really seems like he got a raw deal with just, he was in a theater doing what anybody in the theater was doing. It's all I'm going to say. Yeah, I'm, I might be, uh, I might do that for our next episode. I love that. All ribbons went. He's an interesting person. Like, he always kind of plays the villain in things. Since He has started playing villainous characters, for sure. Although, and he was, uh, I'm not going to get, I I, appreci- I appreciate very much um, Paul Rubens and uh, what's what's Elvira's actual name? It's Cassandra. Something. I don't remember. Oh, but I love her. She's so funny. Well, and they uh, worked together with Cassandra Peterson. That's her name. Uh, they worked or they met in Groundlings, which is a comedy troupe. I'm just, I could do, I could probably do a where Paul Rubens went like off the top of my head. I find his career very interesting. I find Cassandra Peterson's career very interesting. Maybe I'll do a duel. Where did Pee Wee and Elvira go? Yeah, I love it. Do it. <laughs> okay. Because their, their careers intertwine in a few different ways. And then they separate and then they intertwine again. It's very interesting. <laughs> Thank you for that idea, Sarah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it's, oh. it's the love of Memphis design. It inspires. Yeah, I didn't know I loved it. It's like, um, it reminds me of, there's, you know, the uh, commercials beef. It's what's for dinner. Yes. That music that's behind those commercials is my favorite composer of all time. And it's funny to think that like almost everyone in America has heard music from my favorite Aaron Copeland, my favorite composer of all time. And yet they have no idea because they've just heard it in the beef. It's what's for dinner commercial. (laughs) We've all seen Memphis design. And we don't know because it's the Pee Wee aesthetic. It's the Love Shack aesthetic. It's the Beetlejuice aesthetic. Exactly. It's one of those things that like, you're like, I don't know what that's called, but it's, you either love it or hate it. Like it's, it's either brilliant or you're like, oh my God, no, that looks like like, scary fun house. (laughs) I bet it influenced, you know, that paper cup with the with the zigzags on it that like iconic paper cup with the teal and the purple oh definitely oh yeah you can see it (laughs) once you got your memphis goggles on which would be huge and amazing (laughs) that would be so much fun (laughs) the world is just more fun when you think of it like that i i think i personally think like if you see stuff and you think in a a memphis design-ish mindset you just see things like you see stuff that you can play with. You see like, you know, a table lamp that is made of, you know, like a lamet, laminate or whatever. Like Right, exactly. And has like a goldfish in it or something. Yes. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, I bet um anyway, I could go on and on about oh, this is kind of this kind of has that feel. Yeah, it's one anyway. of those once you see it, you know. You're like, oh, mm-hmm. That's awesome. Right. And then I bet graffiti influenced them and then vice versa as well. Because I know Keith Haring worked. Cl- okay. I got to stop talking about So graffiti is amazing. And so uh, I don't know if y'all know who Jessamine Stanley is. She's a pretty famous, uh, fat, positive uh, yoga teacher here in Durham. 
And she's written a book, which is fantastic. She's written two books, actually. Her, her second book's just come out. Anyway, she had a post the other day on Instagram about graffiti and Durham and how graffiti used to be a bad thing, but now graffiti artists are being paid to intentionally tag up stuff for yeah. like an urban kind of love like for for just decoration and I'm like I love that I love how it's come full circle and now it's art because it always has been art it's just now it's kind of more interesting and we can talk about uh what's his name Banksy and how he oh yeah influenced yeah, yeah. all the graffiti yeah and made it into high art <laughs> did you see when that piece of Banksy art self-shredded when it was sold yes I love that that was awesome it made me laugh so hard me too (laughs) I was like I love that yes (laughs) (laughs) anyway anyway all right thank you Sarah absolutely uh you can find us online we're at where's it podcast.com we're on twitter we're on instagram you'll you can find us or you can email us where does a podcast at gmail.com uh thanks for joining us enjoy the world in memphis goggles now bye bye <laughs>